Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer that's passionate about social impact and sustainability. Before I introduce our guest, I'd like to ask you for a favor— If you haven't already, visit our page on your favorite podcast platform and rate, review, and subscribe. Heck, download an episode or two. You can always delete them a moment later. All of these actions help us climb the charts so we can reach more people and spread more good. While you're at it, visit our website, caremorebebetter.com. You can sign up for our newsletter to be the first to gain access to new episodes and exclusive content. You can support the show and keep it ad-free by becoming a patron just by clicking the donate button. Now, in today's episode, we're going to explore another rare disease as I invite you to care more about people with Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease affects over 1 million people in the United States and 10 million around the globe. Each year, 60,000 Americans are newly diagnosed. For those unfamiliar with the disease, you might simply picture Michael J. Fox, the best-known celebrity with Parkinson's. The progressive nature of Parkinson's means that as time goes on, the condition worsens. And one of the most debilitating issues that faces people with Parkinson's is freezing of gait. Freezing of gait occurs when someone simply stops firing on all cylinders mid-stride. The brain stops sending the proper signals to their limbs, and their gait just freezes. When this happens, they often fall, leading to trauma and injuries. When people with Parkinson's start to experience freezing of gait, their circle gets smaller and smaller as they lack the faith in their body's ability to move the way they want. A radical treatment was created precisely to solve this problem when a single patient approached students at Cal Poly and asked them to create a very specific technological device for him. To tell this story, I am joined by the founder of that very company, Sydney Collin of Dioro Devices and creators of Nextride. Sydney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. If you would, Sydney, please just start by telling us the story of how your company came to be, of this one individual who was the spark to the rise of your company. Sure, I'd love to. It all started when I was studying biomedical engineering at Cal Poly. After my second year at Cal Poly, Jack is his name, Jack came to Cal Poly and asked for help creating this device. He lived with Parkinson's disease. The worst symptom that he experienced was freezing of gait, as you mentioned, one of the most debilitating symptoms of Parkinson's disease. What happens in the brain is there's this disconnect between the brain and the body. So when your brain is sending that signal to initiate movement, that signal just doesn't get to the motor neurons that are activating your muscles. Jack came to us with this idea saying, look, I use these visual and auditory cues with my physical therapist in their office. It works really, really well for me, but I don't have any solution to bring that home, to be able to go to the bathroom by myself, to be able to walk across my living room floor, or even walk around the block, walk to go get coffee with my wife. He came to us saying, I know what works. I just need help making it. 
that's kind of how it all started. Honestly, I met Jack. I understood the problem. I looked into the research and I built this one device for him to help him live his life every day, to help him get up and move around a little bit more and make it a little bit easier to live with Parkinson's disease. You know, I find myself reflecting on a moment in my past. I worked right next door to a hospital in Watsonville And I used to go there for their incredible salad bar for lunchtime some days if I forgot my lunch or didn't have a lunch date. There was this one particular day I remember I was walking behind a young man probably in his, I'm guessing, mid-30s, somewhere in that, and some nondescript age. He was obviously having a little bit of a difficult time walking. It's almost like the beat of his walk was very kind of stilted, right? And suddenly he just mid-gate froze, fell down, and hit his head on the pavement. And this was one of my first experiences with Parkinson's and a personal perspective. You know, I was the only person within a few feet of him. So I run to his aid, see that he's got a gash in his forehead. He's bleeding quite a lot. I don't know if he has a head injury. I run inside to get somebody. The nurse comes out with me and she obviously knew him, like he was a frequent patient of the hospital. She just muttered something under her breath about Parkinson's. Like, I know HIPAA laws are you know, supposed to prevent you from making these kinds of comments, but she just kind of muttered something, and I was, I was pretty sure I heard that. When we first connected and you told me about freezing of gait, it just brought me right back to that moment, and I'm like, okay, that, that's what I witnessed. And how terrifying would that be? It's really crazy to watch. I can't imagine what it's like to actually experience what freezing of gait is like. Jack has tried to explain it to me many times, and I can see how frustrating it is for him. It comes on really suddenly. It's very scary. It's something that stopped him from living his life the way that he wanted to. That stopped him from being independent, getting up, doing things by himself, even just moving from one room to another. If he forgot something that he needed in another room of the house, instead of being able to get up and go get it himself, he would have to wait for his wife to come and go get it for him. And that was really frustrating for him. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more about this creation that was Jack's idea. What does it do? How does it work? How does it help somebody? Because you know, initially when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, it's got to be a drug, right? Because everything, it seems, in our pharmaceutically driven world is a drug solution. Well, we'll just give you a pill and it'll solve this thing. I'd love for you to talk about this device and how it works and how it's different than, let's say, a medical intervention. Yeah, that's a great question. I explained a little bit earlier what's happening in the brain when freezing of gait happens. When you are initiating movement, that signal just doesn't get to the motor neurons that are activating your muscles. That's happening because there's a very specific neural pathway in the brain that's getting damaged or disconnected. That's making it so that when you send that signal, it just doesn't get to the motor neurons that are activating your muscles. However, when you use a cue, a goal-oriented movement, a cue can cue a goal-oriented movement. So like a line on the ground saying, I'm going to walk to that line. That's a goal-oriented movement. That changes the way that your brain activates the movement and it changes the neural pathway that's being activated in order to initiate that movement, which allows you to then overcome freezing of gait. The visual cue that we use is a green laser line that's projected onto the floor in front of you. You visualize yourself stepping over that line and that change of intention changes the way that your brain thinks about the movement. It changes the way that your brain activates the movement and allows you to overcome freezing of gait. 
And then the auditory cue that we use is a metronome. So you're trying to step to the beat of the metronome. And again, just by adding that goal, we're changing the way that your brain activates the movement and allowing somebody to restore mobility. What's really interesting about this is that we are not the ones that invented these cues. These cues have been used in physical therapy offices for years. And there's so much research showing that they were effective in reducing falls by 40%, reducing the duration of freezing of gait episodes by 69%, and reducing the frequency of freezing of gait episodes from coming on by 43%. So really substantial numbers. They've been used in physical therapy offices for years, but there wasn't a really effective way to bring it home and use it when you're at home by yourself. Or you know, we have a customer that lives a block away from the beach. She hadn't gone to the beach in years, even though she lives a block away, because she didn't trust herself to get there without falling. And it was so frustrating to her how many freezing episodes she would have that she just gave up trying. Since having the next stride, she's been going to the beach almost every day and she loves it. And it's those kinds of stories that really like, this is why we're doing it to give people the ability to get up and walk and have that confidence to be independent and keep living their lives, even with a progressive disease like Parkinson's. Not everybody that has Parkinson's disease has freezing of gait at the time they're diagnosed, right? It's something that progresses. Does each person experience it with time that has this disease? So about 80% of people with Parkinson's will eventually experience freezing of gait. Usually it happens about five years after you're diagnosed, you'll start to experience freezing. So it's definitely comes on in more of the later stages. It's not going to be the first symptom that you experience. Earlier stages of Parkinson's, it's about 40%. Later stages is 80%. So overall, if we look at everybody with Parkinson's right now, it's about 60% of those people currently are experiencing freezing of gait. So it's a pretty common symptom. I've been thinking about what other kind of treatments may exist for people with Parkinson's. Let's say you have a patient come to you, that they're on the path so forth to have this freezing of gait issue, they may have had some symptoms that led them to believe that it was just around the corner. What types of interventions can be used in combination with this? Is there any reason that they wouldn't be able to use this type of device with you know, their other interventions? There's definitely not any interactions with this device with any other interventions. With Parkinson's, there's one standard medication that everybody goes on, which is like a dopamine medication. Because what's happening in the brain when you have Parkinson's is that there's a lack of dopamine in the brain. So we give people pharmaceuticals to enhance the amount of dopamine that's in their brain to be able to deal with those symptoms. There's no medication right now that's available that really is effective in helping with freezing of gait in a statistically significant way. So some people, when they're on medication, they will see a decrease in freezing of gait, but some people will actually see an increase. So it's not consistent among everybody with Parkinson's. So there really is no pharmacological solution, pharmaceutical solution to freezing of gait at all. There has started to be some research studies with low-frequency deep brain stimulation So deep brain stimulation is another treatment that's really common for people with Parkinson's where they actually do brain surgery. They'll insert an electrode into your brain and they're actually stimulating different areas of the brain. So sending signals through the electrode into your brain, which can be really effective for some people. And again, not for everybody. DBS, deep brain stimulation, wasn't something that was used for freezing of gait in the past. They've recently started to release some pre- preliminary studies showing that a lower frequency of deep brain stimulation might be helpful. 
but again, right now on the market, the only it's thing that drugs. really helps. Yeah, drugs yeah. I mean, it's like drugs this. and surgery, mm-hmm. <laughs> but these cues are non-invasive and you don't have to have surgery. You just attach it onto your cane, whatever cane or walker or walking pole you're already using. It's easy to integrate into your life and it's super non-invasive. It's easy to start going with it and it works really well. It's a great solution right now until we can really figure out how to stop freezing the gate from coming on in the first place. Well, I know Michael J. Fox had approached Congress about the issues that he's seeing and really trying to further research around Parkinson's and I think get more interventions approved to be covered by medical insurance, much like the device that you're offering today. And he had gone without taking his medication for the day just to show how unmedicated is so much more obvious to the lay public, right? And he was criticized for that by some people saying, oh, he was exaggerating or or something along those lines, including, I think, um, Rush Limbaugh, who recently passed. He was one of those advocates who spoke against, like, I don't know why you would be against something like this, but he apparently used it on his pulpit to say, oh, yeah, Michael J. Fox being exaggerative. But I think that's coming because people get used to seeing him on TV and still acting and still doing work as with his um, role on The Good Wife and then going to Congress and they see how much worse he seems just not being medicated. I wondered, you know, if you were to position this alongside medication, how much more effective is it or is it just in a completely different league from the drug medication that the consumer is taking or the person with Parkinson's is taking in this case? Our product is just focusing on a different symptom. So the medication that somebody's taking that's not used to help with freezing of gait, it's used to help with other symptoms of Parkinson's. Our device is specific to freezing of gait. So that's just a real simple hard line in the sand. So if you were to say the medications they prevent people from being as shaky or having a smoother experience in how they can move? Those are some of the focuses. Yeah, there's definitely more symptoms that those address. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't go too much into that. (laughs) But I know that it's not specifically for freezing of gait because there's on-related and off-related freezing of gait, which means when they're on is when their medication is fully into their body, they're on their on period. When they're on their off period is when their medication is kind of wearing off or they're not on their medication. That's what people call an off period. So there is freezing that actually occurs more when somebody's on medication and there's freezing that occurs more when somebody's off medication. And that just depends on the person. Everybody's going to experience Parkinson's so differently. It's a very unique disease in that way. That's very interesting. Now, is there another type of application for the product that you've produced? Ultimately, if it can be used for something else or for other mobility issues that you're seeing? We're starting to look at who else can really be helped using this device Most of the research is in Parkinson's, but we're starting to look. There's some preliminary research in like stroke rehabilitation, multiple sclerosis, cerebral palsy, a lot of other movement-based disorders. Well, I'm curious to see if there is anything else like from that metronomic approach too, because when I think about something like that metronome tick, I'm automatically brought back to the days of studying the piano and learning to, of course, move with music and things along those lines. So are there ways in which this device is even being integrated so that a person can 
move without a walker or without a cane? Is there a way that you're looking at improving it so it could, the experience can be more um, inclusive in other ways? Absolutely. Yeah. The next thing we want to get on the market is something that can attach onto the body in some way, because not everybody who experiences freezing of feet uses a cane or a walker or a walking pole. So being able to help people that don't use canes and walkers, we don't want to force them into using a mobility assistive device before they need to. So having yeah. something on the body would be really, really helpful. And it's interesting that you bring up the music because that's another thing that people, a lot of people will use to help with freezing is marching music. Um, something that has a really good beat and can get, keep you going in the stride in a very synchronized and repetitive way mm-hmm. where it's staying on a rhythm. Because what happens right before you freeze is you start to shuffle. So you have lots of small, fast steps so using the metronome can actually help prevent freezing of gait from coming on because you're trying to keep your stepping in rhythm with the metronome, which will help you take steady, long strides and stop that shuffling from coming on. I was thinking about that experience I had in front of Watsonville Hospital, watching somebody who was without a cane, having, uh, you know, obviously labored walking, having an issue walking. I personally didn't notice shuffling and then fall, but mm-hmm. I also think about the fact that, you know, my my very own father-in-law doesn't necessarily love to walk with a cane. You know, it's just, it's a reality that he has that, you know, has to work with. I think pride sometimes gets in the way of people trying to use these other physical aids or physical devices, especially in the earlier stages of disease progression. As far as other tools that might be available to somebody who has Parkinson's, I know you and I had spoken offline about the cost of the device and and whether these sorts of interventions are covered by medical insurance. So can you talk for a bit about that? Right now, we are going through the process of getting covered by insurance, but we're not covered by insurance currently. We do have a partnership with Parkinson's Foundation called the Parkinson's Wellness Fund, where they'll actually cover 50 to 75% of the cost for anybody who needs financial assistance. As we got this product out to market, something that was really important to us, we wanted to get it out as fast as possible, which is why we didn't wait for insurance coverage because I know there are people that need this a year ago, you know? And so getting it out to those people as fast as possible was our number one priority. But we also wanted to make sure that anybody, regardless of their financial situation, can have access to this device. So we reached out to the Parkinson's Wellness Fund and they actually will cover 50, 75, sometimes even 100% of the cost for anybody who needs financial assistance to make sure that anybody who has freezing of gait, who wants a solution to help them walk, should be able to get access to this device regardless of their financial situation. Yeah, I love that they're doing that. I mean, the reality is you aren't talking about something that's horrendously expensive either. I think the retail price for it is just under $500. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So for less than a smartphone, (laughs) you can have your gait unfrozen as a patient with Parkinson's, which I think is something to absolutely commend. Now you built this company because a single person came to you and said, help. How many people like Jack have you been able to help so far? Understanding your company is really relatively young. So it's been about 500 people so far being able to get the device out into their hands, being able to use it with their physical therapist, um, and that has been have, has felt really good. Jack would be really proud of us. He's the one that really pushed us to to get it out to more people. I, I love the fact it's so unselfish, right? He comes to you, he says, I want a solution, but this needs to be out there for everyone. 
he already had one. He already had a device that was working for him. And he's the one that pushed us to come to a support group where he introduced this new technology. He And it wasn't because he thought that it was something that just would be cool for people to hear about. It was because he knew that if he introduced me to 20 other people that needed this device, that I would feel the responsibility of <laughs> getting it out to those people. <laughs> he knew that that was something that that I would have to do after he introduced me to 20 people that come up to me and say, you know, hi, my name is so-and-so. Thanks for the presentation today. I also experienced freezing of gate. When do I get my prototype? It's <laughs> <I was laughs> like, oh man. <laughs> so you now um, felt a personal responsibility to help all of these people and create this company ultimately. Exactly. Yeah. And that was something that was important to him was, yeah, he already had a solution for him. He was already up and walking and enjoying it, but he wanted to make sure that other people in the community, other people around him also got that opportunity. So he was really the one that pushed us to start a company. That's fantastic. You know, um, you and I'd also chatted about the fact that you're laying a green laser and there's, I think, another solution out there that lays a red laser and how that even psychologically is different for the patients. So, you know, talk for a minute about that. I just, I think it's so interesting. It is interesting. I'm a huge data person, so I tend to always go back to the data. There are actually studies that show that there's a significant difference between the red and the, the green laser because we're taught you know, from a very, very young age that red means stop and green means go with the traffic lights. And I don't know, I used to play the red light, green light game as a kid where you'd run when it was green and stop when it's red, that kind of thing. Um, stop signs, emergency signs are always red. So because of that in, intuitive learning that we've experienced over our entire lives, now when you see the color red, your intuition is to stop. And when you see a green light, your intuition is to go. So it's funny that something so simple as the changing of the color of the laser line can actually have an effect, but there are studies that show that the green line is more effective than the red line. The green laser light is also four times more expensive to source because it's different frequency and it's newer than the red laser. Red laser has been around longer, but we realized that that was really important to Jack and to other people to have the green laser line rather than the red. It's funny how the brain works. Well, you know, you think about it, it's like, what is red? Usually everything red is to stop, to get your attention. It induces hunger Green is more calm, peaceful. The human eye can discern more colors of green than any other color in the spectrum, of course, if they're not colorblind. <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, it's it's one of the colors that we associate with nature, with breathing deep and being outdoors. Whereas when you think about red, you know, the things that come to mind are the stop line, any number of things that are red sense alarm, right? It's an alarm, alarm color. I think that's fantastic. And, and I love that you've gone with, you know, the higher ticket item in this case, but one that's going to work better, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's our yeah. main goal right now is just get something that works as much as possible to people who need it. And then we can redesign, make it prettier, make it smaller, all of that good stuff. Yeah. And, you know, when I look at the whole picture, it's like there are going to be drug solutions that continue to improve, but those trials take a long time. And they're not something you can just integrate right now to solve a solution, right? So you have the drug that's currently out in the marketplace that's being used by people who have Parkinson's, the periods when they're on versus when they're coming off of it and how their body reacts can vary. 
but ultimately you're providing a technological solution. It can be used right away and it can improve their lives almost overnight or overnight over right now in this minute, right? Yeah, absolutely. Are there other technological devices in the works or new things that you can talk about today? A belt attached unit, that's going to be the next product that comes out from us because we already have people asking for it. We have the next ride out in 40 clinics across the U.S. right now. And we have our physical therapist asking, you know, I have a patient that freezes, but doesn't use a cane or a walker. When can I get the belt attached unit? Mm-hmm. So that's the next thing that we're working on. But ultimately our goal as a company is to be able to be the, the mobility solution for movement disorders for anybody with movement disorder and being able to help get people up and walking and be more active. We've started to understand as a community, how important exercise is Mm -hmm. and how important getting outside and moving your body is, but it's the only thing that has shown to slow the progression of Parkinson's disease. So I think just getting people up and walking is so, so, so important and is ultimately our goal. Um, And the more we can do that, the more we can do to help everybody that suffers from a movement disorder, keep walking and keep moving and, and keep remaining, retaining that independence and confidence to get up and walk is ultimately our goal. Great. Now this may not have been the path you planned for yourself when you were first going to Cal Poly to get your degree. So I'd love for you to just talk for a moment about you know, what your perspective is looking back now. And and if you might, knowing what you know today, do things a little differently as you were finishing college and moving into this project. Yeah, it's interesting. This is not at all what I thought I would be doing. I am very much a research-brained engineer type person. I never would have thought I'd be running a business. It's just not how my brain works. But I've actually used my analytical brain to the company's advantage, I believe looking at everything very analytically, I think tends to help in business. I find myself thinking about like what led people to the point that they're at. I mean, you had somebody very specific come to you and say, I need you to do this for me and here's why. And let me convince you. And by the way, I'm going to give you a a smattering of guilt. If you don't, you're going to meet 20 people (laughs) who could benefit from this. And if you don't do it, then you're not helping these people. Then you're letting them down. Yeah. That's a big (laughs) motivator for me, honestly. That's a big motivator feeling like I'm going to let somebody down if I don't do it. But I don't think it should be. That shouldn't be the reason you start a company. And it wasn't. To me, it was seeing the potential impact that this could have. And I've always been a very impact-driven person. That's the whole reason I got into biomedical engineering was realizing that there is so much research and so much technology that we have that's not being used to help people live better lives, which is so ridiculous to me. Like, Why would we have all of this technology that helps people play cool video games better and not use that same technology to help people live their lives better. It seems so strange to me. So that's exactly why I got into biomedical engineering. So answer me this. What did you want to be when you were a kid? When I was younger, actually, I danced with the San Francisco Ballet for 10 years. So I actually thought that I was going to be a professional dancer for a while. But then when I came to the decision, I was at the level in the San Francisco Valley where I'd either have to be homeschooled and dance for four hours a day or drop out and do something else and pick another career. And I decided that just, I loved dancing, but it wasn't 
what I wanted to do. It didn't have the impact that I wanted. I didn't think it used my skills the best that they could be used because I, I've always been a very math and science person. And so I wanted to get into something more technical. So at that point, it was always like an engineer of some sort, some building something, creating something. And to me, I thought that creating something meant being the person in the lab building it or being the, the researcher. So I actually have a background in computational neuroscience. I worked at a startup company in Paris looking at EEG neurofeedback for kids with ADHD. So I was much, much more like the technical research side of the brain signals. At some point, I thought that was going to be where the impact that I had on the world was, was being in the research, being on the forefront of brain research, creating these new ideas of how we can help people using what we know about the brain. Hmm. But being in the research field, what I realized was that there is so, 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 so much research that gets published that that technology never gets out to the end user because there's nobody to take that research and then develop a product and then actually bring it to market. So there's so much knowledge on the research side that never gets translated to the consumer. And so that's when I realized that the most impact that I could have was actually taking that research, creating a product and getting it out to market and getting it out to the people that need it every day. Yeah. So that's kind of how that whole... So from prima ballerina to <laughs> researcher to now CEO of a device company that's going to help solve problems for people, harnessing the power of technology for good. Exactly, I mean, that's, yeah. that's an incredible story. I mean, I think about what I wanted to be as a young child. I think you're told, oh, well, do you want to be a policeman or do you want to be this or do you want to be that? So when I was asked from an early age, I just knew I loved animals. So I wanted to be a veterinarian because that's what all the kids said that loved animals. Then later it became, I want to be a marine biologist. Then it became... Oh, well, I really don't like math. So maybe I don't want to be a marine biologist. How about <laughs> anthropology? But we all go through some sort of uh, transition as we realize who we want to be and who what inspires us. The fact that you're so focused on this particular piece where you can have a social impact on a genetic disease or a progressive disease that only affects 10 million people around the globe. I mean, I know that's a large number but it's small by reference to the population, right? So I could see why some of that research might just sit there in the coffers and not get worked with because it's not the same kind of money coming into that realm. You're not saying, oh, this is going to be the next billion dollar company on day one. I mean, it's a smaller set of population that you're serving, just as vital, just as important and life-changing for those that you're able to affect though. I think that's just incredible. Is there anything else um, that you would like to share with our audience? Or perhaps there's a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had. I'd love to just offer you to the floor. There was something that you just said that stood out to me that I wanted to comment on. You said something about what was important to you and how every time you switched what your career path was, what was important to you never changed. And I think that that's something that's really interesting is that we look at, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is it that you want to do? Like, what is the job title? But to me, I've had the same goal, the same kind of mission as a person the entire time. And it was to 
create that impact, you know? And I think that that's a common goal of a lot of people, but whether I'm an engineer in development of a product or on the research side or running a company that's getting a product out, to me, all of those have the same goal. They're all to help people live their lives better with technology. And I think that what's really interesting when people think about what is it that I want to do, I think that what really drives people is what is the impact that they want to have on the world. And I think that's what needs to be the focus, even as you go into starting a business, fundraising, you know, we start to talk to VCs and the only thing they want to know is, okay, how am I going to make money? Mm-hmm. But finding partners that really agree with that impact vision. If we make a product that's really going to change people's lives, then we're going to make money. But let's focus on what's driving us because I'm not the person that's driven by money. And unfortunately, my investors know that. And so when I talk to my investors, I talk to them about, look, this is the impact that we're going to have. And yes, I can do the calculation of how much that means in revenue, but these are the people's lives that we're going to change. And that's what's important to me. And that's what's important to everybody in the company. I love that. So it's more than a triple bottom line perspective. It's an impact perspective that's beyond the people planet and the ultimate profit that you'll see. It's the number of people whose lives you can change for the better. Well, this is what I love so much about your podcast is I honestly believe that if we create things that are really going to impact the world in a good way, whether that's the planet or people or the animals, (laughs) um, if we really create something that's going to make a good impact, then we're going to create a good business that's going to have a, a solid revenue stream because we're doing something that matters. There is a need and we're offering the solution. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I'm not planning to monetize this, but who knows? One day, maybe it'll cover its costs. I think that it's interesting if I look back on my own career path and my own life in business where I have consistently wanted to work for companies that were doing good in some way. And I think that's why I gravitated towards health and nutrition industry, the natural products industry, because Even as I was selling something, I was selling something that could improve the lives of people that I was reaching. I could have faith in it beyond just, you know, selling a tripod for, I don't know, a camera or something. You know, to me, that was impersonal and not having a positive effect. And then I'd take another stage and say, okay, well, we're doing this business and we're bettering the lives of the people that we're able to reach, but what can we do from an impact perspective? And let's create a program or a campaign that benefits inner city children and allows them to have more open spaces to play in and things along those lines. So always kind of getting driven by that impact, like what can we do to make the world a better place? And I think that if every business was to take that lens into what they were creating then not only would their employee forces be more inspired to show up every day because they, guess what? They know that they're doing good in some way. They know they're having an impact beyond just filing papers or do, hey, now we're not doing that so much anymore. Most of it's digital these days, right? But um, but just seeing the benefit of the work that they're doing in a different way. I applaud what you're doing with Dioro devices and Nextride. I will absolutely be putting show notes together that include links to both of those sites. And I would just love for our audience to take a peek at what these instruments are, because really it's um, a new way to help people live a more full life. 
harnessing the power of technology to do something great. If I was to leave you with just one last bit here, I would love for you to just give our audience a 30,000 foot view, any last tidbit that you'd love them to take with them as they go on their merry ways for the rest of the day. I would love if you, the person that's listening, if you know anybody that has Parkinson's that might be able to benefit from the device, please share our information. Um, But also I hope that if anything, people take away from this podcast that we can create great businesses by doing something that really helps people. I hope that people can hear that and maybe create their own business that's going to make a difference in the world. Well, I love that. Thank you so much, Sydney, for taking on this important work, creating a tech solution that truly helps people and help them live a less isolated life. If I look back on this last year with COVID, I think all of our worlds have seemed a lot smaller. So the fact that you're able to help people whose lives feel small, even when there isn't a pandemic, just grow that circle a little bit more so that they can lead a fuller life with the time they've got here on this planet. I applaud the effort. You're doing incredible work. This really is a noble cause. So thank you, Sydney. Thank you so much, Karina. Now, I'd like to invite you all to act. It doesn't have to be huge. It could be as simple as sharing this podcast with a friend in need, um, perhaps somebody who has Parkinson's or is connected to somebody with Parkinson's. You can take a peek at Next Stride's website and keep track of what Dioro Devices and Sydney Collin are doing. Use it as inspiration so that you can build your own possible enterprise. Maybe it's just idea fodder. To take suggestions, I would invite you to visit our website, caremorebebetter.com. There I have an action page where you can look at any number of businesses or ideas that you could support. And I invite you to join this conversation and community. You can follow us on social spaces at caremorebebetter. And I'm also just launching Clubhouse at Care More Be Better without the last E, so bet <laughs> Or you can just send us an email to hello at caremorebebetter.com. I want to hear from you. If you like what we're doing, you can support the show by sharing it with your friends. So please join us and have a lovely day. Thank you, listeners, now and always, for being a part of this pod and community. Because together, we really can do so much more. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.